So the way to forgive yourself, even though you can't say, yes, that was wrong. I should not have done that. That was a mistake. The, the reality of living in the present with self-forgiveness is deciding, okay, well, now I'm going to trust myself again, and I'm going to continue to trust myself until I end up where I belong. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you. For everyone who does not know Case Kenny, he is a Chicago-based writer, the podcast host of the New Mindset Who Dis podcast. You have a set of New Mindset journals that have come out, and you've probably seen his work like everywhere on Instagram. He has like over 750,000 followers and gets like hundreds of thousands of likes on his pictures and they're just of like the most relatable, inspirational words that just help your day go better. So we're so excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for the, the kind intro. I appreciate it. Oh, that. you deserve it. I, want, I always like hearing in people's own words. What do you say when people at a party ask you what you do? I've thought a lot about this because <laughs> like, I do a lot of different things. I host a podcast yeah. in Sirius. I write quotes on the internet. I'm an author. I speak. I do mindfulness stuff. I do a lot with music and producers. So it's all over the place. So the answer that I've come up with that I think is a little funny, but actually very accurate is I say I share my feelings for a living and I leave it at that. Um, not only because it's accurate, literally I share my feelings, but that's also how I define mindfulness. Mindfulness is the art of sharing your feelings with yourself yeah. and then with other people. And so it really is uh, emblematic of what I do professionally, creatively, personally, um, so that's what I say. I say, share my feelings for a living. And I do that with music and with writing and with books and with journals and with speaking and, and all these different mediums. I think that's a wonderful way to encapsulate it all. Also a good conversation starter. Cause people are like, okay, what does that mean? And then you <laughs> yeah. can go into the details. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little weird. Sometimes I tell my mom that cause they, my, my parents still can't wrap their head around what I do. Um, on the internet. So sometimes they'll accept that as an answer as well. We get that comment so much with all of the like influencers or bloggers that I interview. They're like, yeah, my grandma has no idea what I do. She doesn't think I have a real job. And it's so funny that you have to, I feel like the same way sometimes, like you have to like really explain it to older generations. They're like, unless you're at a desk from nine to five, you don't have a job. Yeah, it, it is confusing, certainly. Like, well, how do people access your, the podcast? Oh, the podcast, yeah. where's the podcast? Or like, you're writing, like you're, where do you buy your book? It's, yeah, it's, it's a whole, yeah. it's a generational thing for sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, share your feelings is universal. So we can all relate to that. Yeah, very true. Can you tell us a little bit more about what got you here? I, I, you kind of started pretty recently. It doesn't seem like you've been doing this forever. So what's the journey been like? Yeah, I haven't been doing it forever. So I'm 35. Um, I start, so I started the podcast in 2018. Um, so I've been doing a podcast for, for a while, for you know five and a half years. Um, so basically, former life, I, I worked in advertising and marketing. I ran a sales team out of Chicago. Did that for eight years. You know, um, was good at it. Like I was an account executive and left as a regional vice president of this company. At the same time, though, I started the podcast basically just in reaction to my life. I became this very type A person, right? I want to control what I can control. I want to control what I can't control. And I was kind of proud of that fact, right? Because I was good at sales. I led a sales team. Yeah. But there was this like dichotomy between who I was in my career and who I was on the inside. Like it wasn't the same person in my career. I knew exactly what I had to do. Blah, blah, blah. Sales team, blah, blah, blah. But on the inside, I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, how do I feel? I don't know. Like it was just this dichotomy and I was kind of frustrated by that fact. So in a very meta way, I decided to start the podcast in an attempt to bring those two versions of myself closer together. So I started the podcast, not in an attempt at all to get into the wellness space or become a influencer or a podcast or anything like that. It was very self serving in a good way. Um, I would just hop on the podcast when I first started out and just like prove to myself that I had a point of view of about myself. Why do I feel anxious? Mm. I would talk about it for 20 minutes. Here's what I've learned. Um, and just prove to myself that I could talk through these topics without borrowing from other people without, you know, confusing myself even further. And basically long story short is what I realized through that process of kind of asking myself a question, answering it honestly, compassionately without ego is, I was practicing mindfulness, my own version of mindfulness, which is very logic driven, not so much spiritual, but very focused on just honesty. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward, I ended up leaving that job, ended up writing a bunch of books, started posting on the internet, Sirius picked up the pod. Um, now, I, obviously, I do it full time, but that was kind of the, the genesis of it. Started with frustration with myself, realizing what I was doing, and now it's just become a passion for mindfulness and bringing that to life in as many different ways possible, whether that's the written word, spoken word, music, products. I consult. I do all these different things for brands that want to you know, bring mindfulness into their, into their organizations. Things like that. So yeah, it came from a very organic place. And, um, you know, I feel like I've, I've reinvented myself along the way several times. I feel like who I was when I was 20 versus 25 versus 30 versus 35 is completely different versions of myself, but yeah. I like this version best. So we're, uh, we're rocking and rolling with this. Hey, that's the goal. That's such a cool story. I feel like so many of these people, these professionals who have made it like on the internet with their blogs, I'd say like a large portion of them, if not most of them, start with just this like little passion project of like, I want to lean into this thing that I like. And it's not like they quit their job and start this thing. Most of the time, like it was the same case for me. I had a full-time job and you kind of just started as a side, dip your toes, see how it goes. But it helps it be very authentic and not forced, I feel like. I guess it was just like basically a journal for you. 100%. I mean, it was literally feelings sharing time with Case. And then, you know, the internet works in mysterious ways. It found a bunch of people. It got popular somewhat quickly. That incentivized me to keep going. I found relatability. But it's always from day one been about me. <laughs> like, it's always yeah. been about me. Yeah. Um, not in a, like, narcissistic way, but just in, yeah. in the way that you just described. It's the best way. You know, all the cliches about having a why and start with why. Like, if you don't have that, you know, I've done... 541 episodes of the podcast. I've written thousands and thousands of, of pages of quotes and books and perspectives. I mean, without it coming back to how it helps me, I would, I would be done for sure. So I, yeah, I agree. It's, it's so important. Yeah. yeah. What do you think resonated most with people? Like, what do you think really started drawing people into your podcast, to your writing? My, my theory um, is a couple things. For one, I mean, I'm a guy on the internet sharing my feelings. I think in the beginning that was pretty new. Um, and a yeah. lot of my following is women and, you know, not in like the, oh, it's so hot sense, but in the sense that like, oh, here's a, here's a aware man sharing feelings. This is new. I would love to learn from this man in the same way that I will consume a lot of content from women to get the flip side yeah. of humanity. So I think for one that, that was, you know, a plus, I suppose. I think the thing that I'm drawn to that a lot of people are drawn to is just the idea of relatability and not in the sense of like a brand building seminar and you've got to be relatable, but in the sense that I think like in this day and age, 
people want relatability over expertise. And of course, expertise is important. It's very important in certain areas more than others, like financial and accounting and medical and things like that, of course. But like, I think about where I've gotten the most value in life. And while I respect the big dogs who have expertise and academia and all this stuff, I get the most value from like Reddit or random people on the internet, just regular people who are sharing their lives. And I've always tried to reflect that in myself. I don't talk about things I have no business talking about. People always ask me, talk about dating with kids or divorce. I say, no, how could I possibly know? I stay away from things that I haven't experienced myself or had close, close observation of. And I think, you know, I used to, when I first started the podcast, I used to refer to myself as a dude bro guy, all one word. Um, I don't really do that anymore because I'm a little older now. But at the time, I saw it just as a cheeky way to say, I am just a regular freaking guy and I use I statements and I'm not lecturing or anything like that. So I think, you know, people gravitate towards that as they should, you know, not to me, but just in general, like gravitate towards what you can relate to and someone who speaks from personal experience. And, you know, I've always stayed pretty adamant about that and and it's worked well. Yeah, well, and I think people love in that same vein of relatability, you're not trying to be like a Thoreau. Like, I feel like the words you share are just very like colloquial. They're very like, (laughs) this is kind of how you would say it to a friend and people enjoy that. It's like they can come to your page and get a message. And I, I tried to do the same thing on my page and it doesn't have to be necessarily like super deep all of the time. Like sometimes things are just casual and like feelings are casual and that's okay too. They don't have to be the most like profound statement in the world. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think that's a that's a big part of, of my writing. Regular language, short, simple yeah. language, not trying to reinvent the wheel. And in fact, like some of my language is so simple. It's like from the outside looking in, it's like, well, duh, thanks, Case. But like, yeah. <laughs> I think that is my mission. My mission is yeah. to deliver more does in life because we all, everything I write, we all know. We all know it. Of course we know it. But life does this thing where it makes us forget it or it makes us rationalize yeah. the opposite because life is life and we're all, you know, hurt in some sense. So my mission <laughs> yeah. is to spout cliches from a mountain in different ways, in different language, in different simple ways so that maybe someone hears it for the hundredth time and that 100th time changes their mind about life. They've heard it 99 times, but then they hear it worded in a, in a different way from Case, and they're like, oh, okay, this is true. I'm gonna live my life differently now. That's my mission. So yeah, I'm not afraid to sit down and, and be the opposite of a philosopher. Uh, I think that's my place in life. A hundred percent, I love that. Well, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? The best advice I've ever gotten? Um, well, I would actually go back to my comment about Reddit. It wasn't. A famous person. It wasn't even someone I knew personally. There was this. Uh, there was this thread on Reddit that I read once, which was, "What's the best life advice you would give?" Right? What would you give? All anonymous okay. people on Reddit, right? Just regular people. Um, someone said the following, and it was just one person. You can't find this quote anywhere else on the internet. Some random person said this on Reddit and then dipped, and I have no <laughs> idea who it is. They said that the difference between a head full of memories and a head full of regret is your ability to forgive yourself. And that's always just stuck with me so much. So the power of self-forgiveness, the difference between a head full of memories and a head full of regret is your ability to forgive yourself. And that's been my guiding life for everything. How do you forgive yourself? What does self-forgiveness look like? And for me, that's, that's how I've lived my life. Forgiveness, self-forgiveness, and mindfulness are so uh, interlocked. The more honest you can be with yourself, the more willing you are to forgive yourself. And 
you know, forgiving yourself is the key to reinventing yourself and reinventing yourself is the, is the key to finding where you belong and what you're passionate about all these things. So that quote, frankly, changed my life and I have no idea who said it. Um, I'm grateful for that person. Um, but for me, certainly that's the best advice I've ever heard. Um, that's been given to me randomly by, by the internet. Hey, you never know where you can find it. I absolutely love that though. Did it come to you at a time where you were particularly struggling with forgiving yourself or has it come back to you and like you've been reminded of it throughout times where you've had to forgive yourself? I think it's more of the latter. I think it's just been, I forget honestly when I read it, I probably read it in maybe like 2019 or something. Um, but yeah, it's just been one of those things that I always, you know, I'm big on like keeping things in my back pocket, mantras specifically, affirmations, reminders, so that when I am triggered, just like anyone else, by life or by myself, I can say before I react to this thing without thinking, before I just give in to my, my human nature, is there anything in my pocket I could turn to? And, you know, I've got a couple little sound bites that I turn to all the time that, that calm me down, that kind of center me. And that, that's one of them, certainly. So, you know, whether, you know, something was going on with my relationships or career, or just general anxiety or frustration, like I turn to that all the time. You know, you hear these quotes all the time. They're like, forgive yourself. Sometimes the question in my mind, though, is like, what does that even necessarily mean? So like, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it means something specific because agreed, self-forgiveness. Like a lot of these terms in in the wellness self-help space are great, of course, but they've been diluted by just like blind adherence to it forgive yourself like energy flows within you come back to your highest vibration i'm like what are you talking about what does it mean (laughs) what is what way is up what are you what are you saying so i've actually spent a lot of time thinking about forgiveness and i I could spend an hour talking about it The, the thing that i come back to time and time again is like what verbs are associated with forgiveness i'm big on mindfulness in a vacuum without action is like, what are we doing here? So I'm big on like, what would the act of forgiving yourself and your heart lead to in the outside world? And for me, the idea of forgiveness is trusting yourself in the present again. That is, that is forgiveness. Cause all, you know, when you, when you look back on life and you know, you realize you made a mistake, we have to realize that the mistake we made at the time, at the time we made the mistake, we trusted ourselves, right? We trusted ourselves that accepting that new job was the right move, even though it ended up being wrong. We trusted ourselves that getting back with our ex was the right move, even though it was wrong, right? And hindsight is always twenty twenty. We have this ability. So looking back at the past and realizing that when we made those decisions, it was an act of trusting ourselves. So the way to forgive yourself, even though you can't say, yes, that was wrong. I should not have done that. That was a mistake. The, the reality of living in the present with self-forgiveness is deciding, okay, well, now I'm going to trust myself again, and I'm going to continue to trust myself until I end up where I belong. So for me, it just encourages more actions that are obvi- honestly aware, heartfelt, compassionate, but it comes back to the idea of, of trusting yourself again and believing that good things happen more than once in life. I think that's a big um, piece of friction when it comes to forgiving yourselves. We're like, forget it because I had something good. I made a mistake, I blew it, and I'm done. The reality of life is, of course, we all deserve second chances, third chances. Good things can happen one time, two times, ten times. It might be a different version of it. It might look different. It might come out of left field. But I think we need to combine those two things, trust in ourselves, belief in new versions and variations of, of goodness in life. And I think between those things, belief and action, it makes the idea of forgiveness uh, simpler, easier. 
I absolutely love what you just said. Good things can happen more than once in life. I, I just love that. I also, when you were talking about forgiving yourself, it reminded me of a quote that I've shared on my page before that said, I think it says like, forgive yourself. You did the best you could with what you had at the time, or like Mm. you do the, you did the best you could with the information you had at the time. And I feel like that really does get down to such a great root of why it's so hard to forgive ourselves because sometimes we blame ourselves. We feel like we should have known better and forgiving yourselves means just trusting that like you absolutely thought you were doing the right thing. Yeah. I love that quote. Yeah. It's very derivative of what I believe. I mean, like hindsight, hindsight is a double-edged sword, right? There's the quote, you can only connect the dots looking back. And sometimes when we look back, we're like, man, you were dumb. What were you doing? And that will almost always be the case, right? Because in the future, we're always armed with more perspective, more knowledge, more self-control, more emotional intelligence, all these things. So we will always be more elevated in the future than we were in the past. So it's easy to really stick it to yourself. Um, That's option one. Option two, though, would be what you just described, saying, hey, you did the best you could with what you had, the information you had, the perspective you had. So now connecting the dots, looking back, it becomes an effort in using that moving forward. And that is the perspective we need to have rather than dwelling in the ruins of your former dumb self. Um, So yeah, it's a choice. It's a choice. Absolutely. You talked about, I want to go back to you talking about how you have a lot of different mantras and sayings that you keep in your back pocket. I love asking people what those are. Do you mind sharing some more of them and kind of how maybe they've helped you in certain areas of your life? Yeah, I think the one that I come back to a lot, that's a little soundbite that I I tend to apply to every situation in life is, um, I I don't remember when I originally wrote, I just said that there's no right way to live your life, but there is a wrong way. And the wrong way is to think that there's a right way. Basically just derivative of, of everything that mindfulness offers, which is the idea of inventing yourself, not copying and pasting other people's right ways, not getting stuck in relationships that look good on paper, not rushing through timelines because that's what's expected of you, not working certain jobs because that's the way to live life, um, not acting a certain way because this is what single people do or this is what relationships look like. You know, I think the gift of life and the gift of a career in 2023 is that there really are no rules. And I know that sounds a little hokey, but I've truly proven it in my career, for instance, to go from thinking I, a sales career is how you make a living to sharing your feelings online. But also just like I've just reinvented every definition I previously had in my 20s of like, what does a good relationship look like? I'm in a relationship or when I was single, this is what a single guy needs to look like. He needs to be popping bottles and have a roster and this and that, because that was what I thought was the right way. So I think really it's our, our duty in life to challenge the right way because our teens and our twenties call it. The purpose is to go out and be inspired by other people's right ways. For sure. It's great to be inspired, but it is our duty while we do that to challenge those things to say, is this the right way for me? And I think, if we're honest with ourselves, the majority of us will find variations or different right ways. And I think we owe it to ourselves to do that so that we don't fall into the trap of, you know, there's all this psychology behind mimetic theory, which is the idea that we're just borrowing from other people almost exclusively in life. I wrote a, <laughs> I read a book um, about that. It's our duty in life to let go of things that aren't true to us. And I think the idea of there's no right way, but there's a wrong way. And the wrong way is to think that there is one singular right way, right path, right timeline, right person, right example, I think uh, sets us down the wrong path. And I think it's an uplifting, empowering thing to say, 
I get to go out and decide what's right for me, who's right for me. And, um, you know, let that lead you. I love that. I think a lot of that goes back to also just like taking responsibility for our lives and our actions. And I think sometimes we also, when we make mistakes, want to blame other people and be like, well, they were pressuring me to do that or society pressured me to do that. And I think a lot of life is taking responsibility and being like, I get to decide. Mm. And if I make certain decisions, those are all on me, not in like a harsh way, but just in like a very, a very balanced way like this my decisions are at the end of the day my own i love that i think that is the most empowering way to to look at your life i call that the like the good side of your ego like there's bad yeah. sides of your ego right ryan holiday ego's your enemy of course but the good side is what you just described it's saying i take responsibility i trust myself i will do this i will feel that and if it's wrong and if it leads me into chaos i will take responsibility for it but i can handle it the ego, the yeah. healthy ego says, I can handle it. I can adapt. I can overcome. And I think the you combine what you said with the mantra that I said, and that leads you to really take ownership of your life, which I think looking back of all the regrets you might have, I think if you are adamant about taking ownership for what you do, how you feel, who you date, the job you work, I think you're going to have far fewer things to regret looking back on. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Every time I hear like things about taking responsibility, living life your own way, I think of My Way by Frank Sinatra. And I'm like, if I can, if I can die and listen to that song and feel like it really rings true with me, I did something right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a, what a OG legend. Yeah. I mean, it's true then. <laughs> true. It's true now. Yeah. It's so true. Do you have, you clearly have focused a lot of your work on this idea of mindfulness. I would love to hear also in your own words, that's like another term that I feel like gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. A lot of people like have no idea what it means. You have become quite an expert on it. What does that mean? And how, what is your best advice on how people can actually develop mindfulness in their lives? So I think the, the, the good thing I suppose about mindfulness is there's no right or wrong definition. There are variations of it. I think if I were to boil it down, there's two types of mindfulness. There's one that's very spiritual, right? A lot of people gravitate towards spiritual mindfulness that, you know, asks questions like what is my highest frequency and chakras and vibrations and, and things like that. I love that for some people. Uh, for me, however, I, I gravitate what I re to refer to as like a logical mindfulness that says, how can I make sense of my life through radical honesty? Like, how can I put my feelings on trial in a compassionate way? How can I question myself with why? How can I put my memories on like a linear line and say, I've lived through A, therefore I believe B. Here's the reason behind this belief, C, D. And then go back and say, I used to believe this, do I still believe it? That is the type of mindfulness that I gravitate towards. In its simplest form, right, it's mindfulness is, is the art of being aware, but it's radical honesty rooted in experience. That is what it is. Um, and you can bring that to life in so many different ways, right? Of course, you could bring it to life in, in therapy, in meditation, in working out, in a silent walk. All these things are forms of mindfulness that get you in that headspace. I do a lot with music, for instance. Music is, is a great medium to get you in a, in a really vulnerable headspace. Um, the thing I recommend most for people who want to you know, figure out what mindfulness is, is I, I think guided journaling is the simplest way to get into mindfulness. Literally, it's the art of asking yourself questions. It's the art of putting your feelings on trial. And I, 
I talk a lot about journaling. I, I lead a lot of journaling workshops. And I think the most practical way to think about the power of journaling, because a lot of times you're like, oh, what am I going to have a diary and, and this and that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, no. But think about it this way. In life, it outside of our feelings, I think we're all inclined to write down important things. Like if we have an important math problem, we're going to write it down. Important phone number, we're going to write it down. Even like personally, yeah. if I'm at a crossroads and I need to make a big decision, my first reaction is I need to make a pros and cons list of this decision and I'll write it down. Pros, cons, yes, no, and I'll write it down. But for some reason, when it comes to what I would say is the most important element of our being, how we feel and our belief system, we never write it down. And there's science and psychology behind a mind and body connection and writing and, and all this stuff. And there's neuroscience behind it. But I think hopefully that incentivizes some people to be like, I'm going to start writing things down. And, you know, journaling isn't something you only do when you're sad and you need to heal and things like that. It is a celebration of what you know. It is a reminder of what you believe and so that you can live it every day. Um, and, you know, I've, I make a living from creating journals and I think there's an art to a good journal and an art to a bad journal. And, um, but I think simply said, uh, journaling is the clearest way to show yourself the power of introspection, the power of honesty, just sit down, answer some questions and see how you feel and then see how that makes you feel out. Once you close your journal, like go out into life and just see how armed you are with, um, you know, a, a more balanced view of yourself, plus a little cynicism, uh, healthy cynicism towards what you're told. Um, you know, it speaks for itself. I could, I could evangelize yeah. journaling all day, but I think people will realize its power once they tap into it. Absolutely. You were saying that like a lot of your journaling, a lot of mindfulness is about like tapping into what you do know. And I feel like I'm wondering what you would think of this too. Our feeling sometimes in my opinion, too, are like equally about understanding what we don't know. Like sometimes feelings, unlike the things that like our brains will tell us, they like don't really make any sense. Like even science can't explain it. Like nothing yeah. can explain sometimes how we feel. Like emotions like love, like there's nothing that can quantify the feeling of loving someone. And so do you think mindfulness, something that people have to accept is that a large part of it is gonna be accepting what you will never understand? I think, I think so. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think so. Yes. I think, of course, we need to, you know, pay homage to the fact that humans have funky wiring. And sometimes we have yeah. these thoughts that might seem out of left field and it might take a long time to realize why we have them, but we should not invalidate them and we shouldn't blame ourselves for having them. There's a, there's a reason behind our feelings, whether they're good feelings, uncomfortable feelings or, or bad feelings. I think the power of mindfulness is that it helps us differentiate between facts and feelings. Feelings, which are always well-serving, we might feel anxious or we might feel compassionate, we might feel confident, we might feel depressed, whatever it may be. There are warning signs, there are check engine lights so that we know, hey, something's up, I should investigate. Without them, we would be screwed. But then there's facts in life. And I think we need to sit down and establish facts for ourselves, which are belief systems. I believe this because of this, and I'm resolute on this. I believe that I deserve this in a relationship. I believe I am capable of this, for instance. And then when we have those feelings, 
some of which are negative, we compare it to the facts, the, to the truths about life, the things that we are resolute on, and then we find a middle ground there. What is this telling me about that? Like, how can I better uh, analyze this instead of giving into the feeling? So I think it's all about the, the middle ground work there, acknowledging feelings, of course. I think any, any uh, therapist, any psychologist is going to tell you, you know, never invalidate, never sweep them under the rug because they're trying to tell you something. But we also have to become realists in the sense of living in real life and taking that feeling and saying, how is this applied to this situation? What could I learn from it? Rather than immediately assuming it's true, blaming ourselves, invalidating it, whatever it may be. So somewhere in the balance, I think mindfulness is, is about balance. You know, that quote we've all seen, thoughts are not facts. I feel like detaching yourself from your thoughts and then finding a middle ground in between that and your feelings is really is the key to being able to decatastrophize a lot of emotions we have in our lives. Good word. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last piece of wisdom I would love to hear from you. If you saw a stranger on the street right now and you just gave them one message, it could be something you've written. It could be one of your favorite mantras or quotes. What would you tell them? What would be some words that you think would help them through their day? Ooh, uh, I don't know. I would just, I published a episode literally a couple hours ago on you know, as I've gotten older, you know, we're under a lot of pressure to find main quests in life, right? Relationship, job, house, stuff like that, uh, which yeah. is great. I think it's great in life to find one or two or three big things that you're passionate about. Your job, your career, fine, great. But I think the real value of life that really adds flavor and teaches us about ourselves and opens us up to the joy of living, not the routine of living, is the idea of side quests just like crazy side quests. Like lately I'm, I'm big into learning magic. Um, I'm studying Chinese again. I, I studied that in, in, in college. Um, I'm trying to do a thousand pushups in 60 minutes. I'm seeing how long I can hold my breath. Oh, silly things. Um, silly things. Uh, my girlfriend is, is, uh, picked up DJing this past year and I she's a UX it. designer. So like, I'm just big on filling your life with the joy of life rather than the routine of life. And mm. not because we're not grateful for what a main quest offers us or commitment offers us or discipline offers us, but because I, I think, you know, um, you know, part of that is the fact that like, as we get older, um, there's this perception that time is going faster, right? 25, snap your fingers, 30, snap your fingers, 35, time is going really fast. And there's actually a lot of studies around like, why does time seem to go faster as an adult versus slower as a kid? And the, the kind of pseudoscience there is that, um, the formation of new memories is what slows down time or speeds it up. As a kid, you're constantly having new memories, newness, new first steps, new beginnings, all these things. So your, your brain is stretching that time out. But as adults, we're locked into routine. We can go months without doing something new, yeah. meeting something, someone new, doing something for the first time. And so time is just, it's just cruising. So in the vein of slowing down time for yourself, perception-wise, so that you could jo enjoy life, I say add more side quests to your life. Just chase, if you have an itch, just itch it. Chase curiosity. It doesn't ha you don't have to make money from it. There's so much pressure to do things to make money from it or a, a side hustle. Just call it a side quest and see where it leads you. I think it'll really open you up to life. That's beautiful. I, that's so accurate that I feel like for some reason we equate being an adult with having a routine. And I love routine. I'm a routine gal. Right. I am the right. first one to be like, I love, you know, I go on vacation. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get back to my routine. But in, in the same regard, I feel like it also is easy to kind of just get lazy with your life and just 
accept that routine because it's the easiest thing to do and not try and go out of your comfort zone and not try new things. And I do think that that's what leads to like a rather unfulfilled life sometimes. I agree. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, Case, thank you so much for joining us on the show. This has been a wonderfully enlightening and this was a mindfulness practice for me, honestly. I feel like it takes me away from my day and helps me like focus on the things that matter. So thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening where they can go to support you, to support your podcast, your music, all of the a million things that you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Uh, I love I love that chat. That was I felt really nice. Uh, Case.Kenny on Instagram. Um, everything is there in, in, in my link. My, my uh, podcast is called New Mindset Who Dis. You can listen to that anywhere. If you want a journal, uh, newmindsetwhodis.com or they're all on Amazon as well. So thank you for uh, giving me a platform. I appreciate it. Of course. I look forward to keeping up with your work and seeing your words and everyone else should too. If you need a little bit more inspiration in your day, visit Case's page and check out his work and his journals. And to everyone listening and watching, thank you so much for tuning into The Shift. We'll see you next time. 